Good morning, and welcome to this edition of American View on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. My name is Ben Dietrich. And I'm Alex Nestor. And we're glad to be with you on this Tuesday morning. Joining us on this edition of American View is Christian Caruso. He is from Venezuela. He's calling us from Venezuela. Christian, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Christian, can you hear us okay? Oh, there we go. Sorry, we couldn't hear you on our end, Christian. I think now we should be hearing you. Can you hear us? All right, we will try to get Christian back here in just a moment. We had him just a minute ago. Um, I think it might be that we just can't hear him on our end. He is from um, Venezuela. He's written a couple articles on the Breitbart website titled My Socialist Hell. It's a series about the decay in Venezuela that has occurred since he was just 11 or 12 years old. Um, Christian, can you hear us now? All right, we're going to try and call him back here. Um, now, let's see. if Can you hear us okay, Christian? Mm-hmm. Great. Okay. All right. Sorry about that. little technical difficulty on our side. So Christian, like I was saying, he's written this series of articles on the Breitbart News website called uh, My Socialist Hell, 20 Years of... Um, socialism and decay in Venezuela. Uh, My first question for you, Christian, is in your article, you write about how you were just 11 years old when the socialists and Hugo Chavez came to power. How has Venezuela changed since then? Oh, man, where where do I even begin? Uh, You know, when when the whole thing started, Venezuela was in... I suppose a, re- a normal country in you know in all sense of the word. Uh, things were relatively calm, but as as Chavez began to you know enact his plan, things started to go south very quickly. He, as soon as he started to change the constitution, things started to you know the, the, the clashes between the, with the, the government and the opposition uh, they took a turn for the worse, and it started to escalate. And it's been nonstop ever since uh, we had serious uh, events going on in 2002 and then in 2004 and then 2007 and then 2012 or 13 and then 14, 17. It's been over and over. It's the same thing. But each time, uh, regrettably, the government gets away with what they want. And ultimately, here's where we are at, at a point where socialism has started to collapse in and completely destroy this country. Mm-hmm. So, Christian, has anything changed um, in recent years, specifically from the Chavez regime to the Maduro uh, regime and his rise to power that's exasperated the situation in your country? Yes. Uh, as soon as Chavez died, uh, I could say that the, the Socialist Party went in a every man for himself way, way, every, uh, mode. Everyone started to, you know, try to see what they could steal, what they could snatch from of the country. And as a result, uh, everything continued to collapse at a much accelerated pace. Things were starting to go south back in 2010 or so. But uh, as soon as Chavez died, everything started to completely collapse. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, you described it as the, the collapse of socialism. What, what does that look like in the, in the country? I mean, what are the living conditions like? Um, I know you were telling me before the show that you don't even have water right now at your house. No, no. Uh, I mean, at this point, I'm already used to a cycle of not having water for, say, five to six days and then having it for maybe one or two at most. Wow. It, 
Yes. Uh, when it comes to power, let's say uh, Caracas it has kind of been exempt from blackouts because this is the capital. Uh, they are trying to keep the capital afloat, even if it means sacrificing the rest of the country. Uh, but there are places, uh, for example, Maracaibo, that's the city I was born at, they have to go up to 18 hours per power per day. Wow. So it's it's kind of inhumane, if you ask mm-hmm. me. Yeah, and uh, you, you said yourself that you uh, were suffering from the flu earlier this week. It can't be easy to recover from that when you don't have electricity or running water to help help yourself get through that. So um, yeah. we are really glad that you could talk to us today. Um, one of the things you mentioned in the article is that you're um, – you're caring for your your brother right now, um, and you know the access to medicine is very hard in the, the Venezuela as well. Yes, it's been a constant problem. It's uh, for the past, for for almost two decades now, uh, and something I haven't mentioned yet in my articles, but it's coming soon because this is going to be a series of articles. Is the fact that uh, my mother passed away and in in March of 2018 due to cancer and. The thing is that we could never find a chemo she needed to live because of this health crisis. It's going away over She was a doctor, so I'm pretty familiarized with how everything started to collapse when it comes to medicine and access to health and and such. Mm-hmm. So, as a as a doctor in the the Venezuela, uh, in Venezuela, I imagine that what was it like before um, Hugo Chavez? Was the access to medicine better? Yes, it wasn't perfect because we have always had this dual system between the public and private sector, and you could always choose whatever you wanted, whichever you wanted to use. Uh, it wasn't perfect, but it worked to a certain degree. And I, both my parents uh, were doc- uh, were doctors, and things, you know, worked in a certain way. Uh, if you could not have access to private health system, you could go to the public one. It wasn't perfect, but at least you could you could find some degree of of, of of service there. Nowadays, uh, everything is pretty much technically closed. Uh, the unit that my mother used to run uh, uh, up until last year, it, it's completely shut down. The forensics unit that my father runs in another state is technically shut down because they don't have access to, to resources or supplies to anything to work with. Uh, even it, it, it has gotten so bad to the point that when my mother passed away, I had to cover her with a blanket from from our house because they don't oh even have gosh. had anything to to cover her with. Mm. I'm so, so sorry, Christian. Um, so now I just want to make sure that we understand correctly for our listeners that the healthcare system now there is no private insurance. You have to have the public insurance. Is that correct? No, no. We still have the dual system, but the thing is that the private one is pretty much limping on its last legs right now. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Christian, was your mother barred? Um, from leaving Venezuela to receive treatment elsewhere in another country? No, no. Uh, but we could never secure, you know, that we were trying to work so hard with that. I even tried to reach, you know, the more refugee, quote-unquote, friendly uh, embassies like Canada and Germany, and they all said no. So hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's going to be hard. Um now, you know, Christian, in the United States, of course, there's this talk about making our healthcare system more socialist and uh, people on the left. You, you've written a little bit about it in your articles. But, mm-hmm. um, but you know, when they look at Venezuela, if you're on the left of the U.S., when, when conservatives bring up Venezuela, they say, well, Venezuela is not real socialism because it's, you know, has these authoritarian leaders. 
Um, and it's kind of the same thing they did with the communism in the Soviet Union. They say that's not a good example of the socialism we want in this country. Well, how do you respond to you know claims like that? That there is a right type of socialism, a wrong type. I mean, is do you see it that way? No, it's extremely convenient that as soon as things start to go south, it's not so, not real socialism anymore. And you can find articles from 2007 to up to 2012 praising what were left from other countries were, were praising this socialism, our socialism, because this is the way to do things and blah 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 and all the stuff. But you know, when when it stops being convenient, when it's starts being like a nuisance it's suddenly not real socialism anymore and mm. that's not how it's supposed to be I mean yeah. every every time I turn on the TV I see Maduro talking about socialism I go to the suite, I see a, a postcard a, a giant billboard that says socialism and it's been 20 years of this <laughs> of this nonsense so um, so you're listening to American View on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Um, so Christian, let's talk a little bit more about free speech in your country. So clearly um, your beliefs are not in line with those of the regime uh, who has power in your country. Um, and how have you been able to publish articles, come on air with us in the morning and, and stay safe there? Well, I try to keep a low profile and take my necessary precautions they, uh, when it comes to free speech, I mean, they will tell you with with a straight face that we have absolute freedom of speech here and and so and so. But the reality is that people can get arrested for saying the simplest things in social media. There's been cases. There there was a case of a famous chemist woman who was jailed for almost a year. I think even over a year, if I remember correctly, because she tweeted something because of a simple tweet. And and there's another case of a few firemen, the one that I mentioned in my article, that they made a, me a video satirizing Maduro. You know, Maduro, uh, in Spanish, there's a kind of a wordplay between Maduro and donkey, the word for donkey in, in Spanish. Mm. And because of that video, they have been arrested. There's been other people that have been arrested uh, due to hate speech uh, because of simple things that they have said or, 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 or done. Mm-hmm. So they use uh, so they use hate speech to basically target any speech that is um, distant towards the regime. It's they made it ambiguous on purpose because of that. So they are the ones that define what is hateful or not. So um, are there clearly these are some examples of others who uh, you know share some of your similar ideas and views. Do you know more people in your country who? Um, are very frustrated with the regime or do a lot of people just kind of go along with it at this point? No, at this point, I think everyone's frustrated mm-hmm. with both mm-hmm. sides of the conflict because the thing is that the opposition isn't, even though Maduro and, and the Socialist Party call them fascists and they're right wing and blah, 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 they are pretty much center left. The, the, the sheer majority of the opposition is center left mm-hmm. and everyone's just exhausted because it's been 20 years of the same thing. They 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 fight. They things escalate. There's protests. People die. Uh, ultimately, they they calm, calm things down. The fires of protests are quelled, and the status quo continues. Uh, yeah, and our lives never improve. Every every right. time it's been like that. It's been a nonstop cycle that has been going on for twenty years. It's been like six or seven times where it ha- it's happened over wow. the past two decades. Wow. 
Uh, I, I, I want to return just briefly to the the topic of censorship. Um, and you know, you mentioned in your article that you wrote for Breitbart that mm-hmm. uh, that China has actually been assisting um, the government um, in some ways with technologies. Uh, can you explain what you meant by that? Okay. Uh, uh, one of the things that they have, the Chinese have, have supported Maduro with is the technology to create a, a kind of a, a system that's based on the Chinese social credit one. We call it the Fatherland ID. Uh, and that, it basically consists of assigning people an ID card, a new form of ID card that contains a dangerous amount of information about you, your family, what you do, what you work, where you do. And you basically are forced to get it if you want to get some of the government, uh, the government's benefits, such as food and subsidized uh, <clears throat> access to subsidized uh, services and supplies. <coughs> uh, they try to do it with gasoline, and it is one of their goals to to have gasoline, the subsidized gasoline, be served, served through this system. And should you refuse to fall in line, then you will not have access to it. Uh, that's one thing. And in the other aspect is that the Chinese have um, have control of Cantebe. Cantebe is the, the country's largest, by far, uh, IS, inter- internet service provider and telecommunications company. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> the government nationalized it back in 2007. And now, nowadays, the Chinese have control of it. And they are the ones that are actively supplying Maduro with the tools and the and the knowledge required to censor censor things and and you know filter filter the amount of information that goes in and out of the country. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny because when you mention kind of the details, I think that's it's really interesting for our listeners because we say something socialist, and people don't always know what that means. Um, you know, but for instance, here in the United States, a lot of the people who are running for president right now in the Democratic Party are talking about nationalizing certain industries. Um, can you explain basically just like when you go out, you know, for the day, you have to go grocery stop shopping, you have to get gasoline for your car. If you have one, I don't, I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. what, what industries have been nationalized, um, under the socialists? What are the effects of that? I mean, everything that runs the country has been nationalized. The important things, uh, the old industry was nationalized before Chavez. Uh, that's, that's one thing. Uh, but Telecommunications, power, water, uh, gas, all public utilities have been nationalized. And the service is completely in shambles. I mean, just look at our blackouts and our water shortages. And the thing is that they subsidize everything, and it's so laughably cheap when you factor hyperinflation in, in, the, mix, in, the, in, the, in the equation right. that it might as well be free. I mean, what I pay between... <clears throat> power, water, and internet because I have to use the government ISP not because I want to because, but because this is the only thing I have available in the area Right. Uh, it, it amounts to about a dollar or so per month yeah That's, that, wow. yeah, it's, but the quality is very, very, very bad you wouldn't believe me if I told you that the only reason this internet is working is because I had to MacGyver it basically with a, with a bit of tape and an exacto knife to fix the kit <laughs> they w- I had to fix the wiring myself and it, it actually works better now <laughs> well we're glad, we're glad you could re- uh, reach us today um, and you yeah. were saying before the call that you know, sometimes the phone calls can be spotty there um, that mm-hmm. you know, even the phone service isn't so good no, 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 even, even in even when you're trying to call somebody in the same city, it's, it's a nightmare nowadays. Wow. 
Mm-hmm. Can't imagine. Because so, in Venezuela, was a it, you know before this all happened, it, it has a lot of oil. It was a relatively wealthy country, especially in South America. Isn't that correct? Yeah. Yeah, we are the country, actually, we are the country with the largest proven oil reserves in the world. And it seems like it's kind of a curse because it's, it hasn't bought us much good in these past years. Wow. So do you have any views on the, the you know, what's the politics that are happening in the United States today? Um, do you, what do you think of the, the president, for instance, if you have any views at all? It's okay if you don't. I'm just curious. Well, if you were to ask me, I'm not that familiarized with the whole inner workings of America's politics. But when it comes to, yeah, I, I don't have anything bad to say about President Trump, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you, you've written a little bit at the end of your articles. It seems the message you're trying to, to, to leave there is, you know, what is the mess is a message for Americans? It's, you know, you're writing on Breitbart, a site that reaches Americans. Mm-hmm. If you could, you know, speak directly to the American people. Um, you know, from your own country, what what would be the message you would want to deliver? I would say that, you know, I understand that things aren't perfect and things might never be perfect, but be careful what you wish for. I mean, just look at what happened to us with the whole, we were sold this socialist dream of things being better and, and a utopia and look what, what, what evils have wrought upon us. Yeah, we have lo- we have lost so much. It's it's so incalculable the amount of things we have lost between time, resources. We have lost loved ones because of this socialist dream, and, and the country might not ever recover. Mm-hmm. I don't. I hope I want it to recover, but it it's gonna be a hard. Uh, it's gonna be hard to to recover from from all of this. It's not gonna be easy. It's not gonna be overnight, and. They will try to sell it to you as democratic socialism or our own version of socialism and whatever you want to call it, whatever socialism. But it's always in, in, in deep down, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. We were sold, it was sold to us as socialism of the 21st century or Bolivarian socialism. And ultimately, it's just the same. Just look what happened to Cuba, just look what happened to us. Yeah, okay. I just I just don't want this to keep happening. That's all. That's all. Sure. So, uh, Christian, how have you been able to remain um, mentally strong during this time? Um, both, you know, with the troubles in your government, with the loss of your mother, um, have you been able to to uh, live, you know, survive through this and, and remain, uh, you know, mentally mentally strong? I I always say that all my jokes are cries for help and. Mm. It's. I suppose it's the last thing I have that, that the government can take away from me. It's my sense of humor. It's the only way I can, you know, cope. It's been. Yeah. It's been quite difficult years. It's been. It's been just a journey, and I just want this to be over one day and to have my brother, you know, have a normal life and and all that stuff. Because that's the last thing I promised my mother that I would do. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, we we hope you get that as well, Christian. We really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk with us today. Um, you know, continue your strength, and uh, I, I'm sure we're praying for you here. I have one more question. I'm, I'm just curious, you know, about religion in the country. Are, are you religious? Uh, is religion allowed in Venezuela? I know originally it was a Catholic country, so to speak. Yeah, we are still majority a majority Catholic country. I was raised Catholic uh, by my parents. And, well, when it comes to 
socialism and religion it's it's an interesting it's an interesting thing to talk about because at some point chavez you know he felt mightier than god himself probably and he said he doesn't believe he said he didn't believe in god anymore and he started to you know he, he the government and the and the catholic church have, haven't had the best of, of relationships in this year over the past few years uh chavez even got it got to a point that he he cursed the state of Israel. He banned Israel from the Israeli embassy from Venezuela, uh, and and well, and when he got cancer, you know, he publicly when he publicly came out saying he had cancer and all, he started to use religion as a tool, you know, for, to mm-hmm. to garner sympathy for what was what was at the time his his presidential reelection. What we didn't, what nobody knew is what he was basically dying and he was it was all part of a large plan large very machiavellian plan to to continue perpetuating power uh but when when he got sick uh he started to use religion for his own benefit wow going mm-hmm. well that's really interesting christian thank you so much we really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us and i, I really truly do wish you all of the best um here and uh you know we have americans i hope you know despite the however hundreds of Thousands of miles, we're not hundreds of thousands, hundreds, hundreds of miles away we are. Um, yeah, we're, we're praying for you guys and we're rooting for you guys. And um, ultimately, I hope you get to, to self-determine your future. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you for, for this opportunity. Thank you for having me. And- yeah. Thank you. A- absolutely, Christian. So that was Christian Caruso. Um, he was calling us from Caracas, Venezuela. And you've been listening to American View on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. We'll be back after this short break. We're going to break down that interview and tell you more about what's happening in American politics. Welcome back to American View on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. Where Hillsdale meets the nation, I'm Ben Dietrich. And I'm Alex Nestor. Good to be with you in our studios here in the second part of today's show. It's Tuesday morning. Um, and wow, what what an interview we just had. Wasn't that wasn't that crazy, Alex? Yeah, that was very emotional at, at times. That was, yeah, good interview. Well, you know, we just got done talking with Christian Caruso from Caracas, Caracas, excuse me, Venezuela. Um, and uh, Christian lives there. He has, you know, he was just 11 or 12 years old when the socialist regime came to power there. He has literally watched the country's downfall happen before his eyes. He shared his thoughts on what's happening there, how he's worried it could happen here. Um, And we encourage you to go online to our Facebook page, American View, WRFH. Follow me on Twitter, Ben underscore D-I-E-T-D. You can follow Alex Nestor as well on Twitter. Alex, what's your Twitter handle? It's at Alex Nestor 2020. And I did not think about that with the whole, you know, presidential election yeah. thing. So. so you can you can check out those links there. And we're gonna we're gonna make sure we share that interview so you can spread that around to all your friends and family. It deserves to be heard. You can also check that article out. Um, the article series he's writing is on Breitbart right now. So, you know, we want to break down what all this means. You know, one of the things that I think is really interesting and very relevant to what's happening today in our political um, sphere is what he had to say about, you know, free speech and censorship. Um, you know, for me, that was, uh, I think, just really it got to a, an interesting point. You know, he had that incredible line where he said, well, the last thing they can take away from me, 
you know, they haven't taken away yet is my humor. And that's the one thing he's been able to hold on through, through all the hard hardships that he's faced. Um, you know, in, in Venezuela, like basically every other oppressive regime out there, um, they have decided to use laws like hate speech. Uh, they've decided to use the government basically to coerce their people and prevent them from speaking out against the government. Luckily, you know, he has utilized things that like VPNs uh, to, to hide his own kind of electric trail from the government. But, it, you know, it's, it's not just in Venezuela, you know. Um, there, there are a lot of other instances as well. Yeah, certainly. I mean, we've seen examples um, with uh, Facebook and other social media platforms in the United States and, and around the world as well. So let's talk about some of those examples because I want to break this down for you today and I want to connect some dots here and just get everybody thinking on what this means. And, and the reason I bring up you know, the, the hate speech thing is it's interesting because people who make arguments in the you know, developed countries like the United States, like uh, Europe, the countries in Europe have hate speech laws all the time. Interesting fact here, first I want to point out, None of those countries ever have the same hate speech laws. Nobody can define hate speech the same way. Why is that? That's a question you got to ask yourself. Why is it that there is not a singular definition of hate speech? The, uh, the truth to that question, the answer to that question is because, well, hate speech is subjective. It's based on what your country or your culture you know, thinks is hate, what your government thinks is hate speech, um, which can range. Um, and so, you know, in Europe, for instance, a lot of people don't know, but there is actually, this is kind of important. The EU international courts, the highest court there, recently ruled that when Facebook is uh, not allowed to, so they have a lot, very strong laws there, and there's a, any type of hate speech that's on Facebook, hate speeches, they are required to take down immediately. And that can be anything that's considered too controversial. So some sort of right-wing post, they deem something's too right-wing for them, then that can be taken down. According to the EU court, um, those uh, censorships not only apply to countries where they have those laws, so in the EU, but that the Facebook and Twitter and all those other websites have to actually legitimately take that stuff down from all over the world. Because for some, somehow the logic that this court has reasoned with is that, A, they have the authority to, to basically have the jurisdiction to, to you know make cases that affect the entire world population, all 7 billion people, but also that, you know, that... Um, it's just incredible that that they that they, uh, they they think that they can um, do that is just really shocking. So that's one example in Europe that we've seen. Now in Australia, we've seen other stuff happening as well. Alex, you you want to tell us what, what just happened in Australia just yesterday? Um, you know, it's been crazy what we've been able to see there. Uh, yeah. So I guess in Australia, there are um, new laws have been introduced over the past. 20 years that have started to try and uh, kind of define what uh, hate speech is. Um, but recently, a um, government, someone who works in the Australian government, um, had something taken down based on secrecy laws there. So that's a little interesting to me, Ben, the secrecy laws. What's... Yeah, so they have these these laws that, you know, say basically, just like in the United States, so it sounds on the surface, you know, if something is related to national security, you can't write about it. What they've used that, though, to do, basically, is to say any sort of dissidence against the government to some extent, you know, so anytime they file like a Freedom of Information Act like we do in the United States, it takes months upon months to get to the bottom of it. <laughs> and they anything, even if it's not related to national security at all, that's related to government matters, they can just deny um, and say, oh, this is national security, you're not allowed to publish that. This has caused the federal government to raid the CABC, which is the 
or the ABC, excuse me, that's the Australian Broadcasters Corporation. They have raided uh, journalists' houses um, for stories that really were not really related to, you know, an actual threat of national security just by the nature of what they were covering. And this has caused almost every single major newspaper in Australia yesterday. They just printed front pages that had blacked out words over the entire front page. That was their way of kind of, um, you know, showing their dissidence against what's happening there in Australia, which is, which is kind of crazy that, uh, you know, basically they are be able, able to attack this with the united front. The media is really upset. They say these laws have just gone too far. Mm-hmm. So we see that in Australia with the government there, which is kind of surprising because you always think of Australia as kind of a free country. And then here in the United States, of course, um, you have Kamala Harris. We talked about this last show. She's been calling on many to uh, suspend President Trump's Twitter account. Um, <laughs> why does she think President Trump's Twitter account is, is to be suspended? You know, the way she articulated it in the last debate was kind of crazy. It's basically, this is the, or the argument she uses. It's the same one we heard from CNN's president, Jeff Zucker. President Trump has misled 60 million Americans into voting for him. He has convinced them through his lies to vote for uh, a campaign full of lies. He is taking advantage of these people and that it is their job, the liberals, the, uh, uh, the people that are, you know, are, you know, proud servants to protect the American people from these lies that the president of the United States is trying to, um, you know, basically implement on these Americans. So we're going to do that by shutting down their forms of communication. This is the same reason why, you know, the uh, CNN and these liberal networks refuse to cover things that happen in the White House. They refuse to um, cover events that, that uh Unless they are, you know, absolutely required to, to cover them. Even the State of the Union address, I remember, if you remember that, the president's State of the Union address, there was talk that CNN and NBC would not cover those events. It is incredible. And, and, and the point about this is that they, they literally, you know, obviously the Democrats right now don't have a lot of power. They have their majority in the House, and they're certainly trying their best at that um, <laughs> with their impeachment proceedings. But when you don't have the presidency, they've basically taken this to the extent of, you know, how do we fight back against Trump? I guess we, we try and shut him up is, is the argument that he used. Um, and, you know, Elizabeth Warren, she is trying to act, you know, it was funny. She was asked by Kamala Harris, support this, support banning Trump's Twitter. She kind of, you know, shrugged her head off and said, yeah, I'm not really for that. She wouldn't say why. She's not willing to disavow what Kamala Harris is up to and what's really wrong with that. But she, you know, instead said, you know, I have been for Facebook uh, eliminating the Trump campaign's advertisements. That's another thing they want to do. Mm-hmm. Shut off the money shut off any type of communication that allows these ideas to grow. Um, and, you know, they use this first. Let's remember how this started. It's Facebook, Twitter, all these guys. They started this basically because of Russia collusion. Right, right. The argument that, you know, hey, we are going to stop influence by foreign actors into our elections. So we're going to censor ads on Facebook. I can't even, you know, American View. I tried to, to run an ad on Facebook um, a couple weeks ago. And, and and I was told I can't do that unless they go through this like ten step verification process because uh, they don't you know, the ad has been identified as political. Um, that's something that was never on Facebook before. So anyway, they, they've done this. But the funny thing is, you know, they act like the it, it's the, they use these issues and the goalposts constantly move. So first it was Russia collusion, but now that you know Trump is investigating any part of collusion by the Ukrainians into the election, which which Politico reported in 2017 that it happened. It's, it's been widely known. 
um, that they supported the Hillary Clinton campaign and tried to sabotage President Trump. You know, that type of stuff, they, they don't really care about. They don't, want, they don't want their own ads to be censored. They only want ads that could benefit the, op- the opposing side. And it's just so blatantly obvious. Yeah. I mean, wow. You yeah. know, it's, it's right out there in, in front of you. Um, and so we see all this happening. You know, what, what does this really get down to? That's the question we got to ask ourselves. Um, you got CNN, like we said last week, talking about how they, they think that this is terrible. Fox News is spreading misinformation. They want to shut all this off. Why do they want to shut all this off? Well, you know, Alex, we're Hillsdale College <laughs> students. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring in the Aristotle a little bit here. You know? Oh, bring it on, Ben. Bring in the Aristotle. In, in the politics, you know, Aristotle says that uh, politics is the highest form of human good. or You know, it's the, it's the highest thing that we, art that we can really mm-hmm. engage in. And why he says that is because politics um, determine what we discuss in this society, the conversations we have, the type of government we're going to live under, which is ultimately going to determine the limits of human happiness. Um, based on the type of structure we have that controls us, you know, the mechanisms we put in place. Mm-hmm. When you start censoring speech, there is no way to do it objectively. There just really isn't. It's a subjective thing. It's why the founding fathers, you know, why we have a First Amendment. And um, when you do that, you directly threaten every single free institution in this country. And it goes down to even this college right here, you know. How, how are we supposed to teach people about the future if uh, you know they, they become under threat of speech? I'm not saying that's happening right now or that's close to happening, but this is the process that happens. Mm-hmm. We just heard from Christian Caruso who describes him in that process in his own country. Yeah, so uh, Ben, just to go off that point for a second, um, the reason we have the First Amendment is not to protect speech that everyone agrees with, but to instead protect speech that a lot of people would not agree with. And that's not to say that it is right or okay to go on air or speak otherwise bashing or degrading other individuals, but it is to say that um, speech is not something that is meant to just um, pacify everyone or make everyone feel comfortable or safe. Um, it's, it's meant to you know, express yourself and your own individual ideals and your beliefs personally. Um, and I think that we have to be very, very careful when we start to encroach on that. Um, I even see it a bit um, in journalism and I, I don't want to you know, say that Associated Press Style or anything is trying to censor me and what I have to say, but you can tell. But it is. But, okay, <laughs> sure. There are particular words and phrases that the Associated Press Style has um, began to use in the past few years, selecting one term over another. I remember sitting in my first journalism class here, um, opening my AP Style book. One of the um, first things, as it was in the A section, was anti-abortion. You don't say pro-life um, or what have you in journalism. You say anti-abortion. And that uh, <laughs> I think that's a very obvious example of choosing one uh, you know, side of the narrative over another. Same thing with saying undocumented immigrants. Um, I know New York actually just passed, was it New York or maybe California? I think it was New York who passed a ban on saying the term illegal immigrants. You can't oh, yeah, that say was that. In New York City. So right. That's, that's New a great York City. example. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I think you have to pay, it's at least $100,000. I think it might be $300,000 if you use that term. Now, that, that will most likely get challenged in the courts if it hasn't already begun that process. But keep an eye on that story. I mean, mm-hmm. how insane is that? 
So, you know, but there are a lot of people out there that think this is justified. And, and for the same reason, they think that sometimes even violence can be justified. We've seen that with the Antifa movement. I'm bringing this up because, you know, President Trump had a massive rally in Dallas last week. Less, luckily, it did not get violent. This was, I think, the biggest rally of his campaign. They filled up not only the entire state basketball stadium in Dallas, um, but they also, you know, had a crowd of 30,000 people outside the stadium watching this rally. Uh, he had another rally in Minneapolis a couple weeks ago, and these violent protesters showed up, and they literally threw human urine in people's faces, hit people on the heads. There's videos of this stuff online. And we did not hear one Democrat presidential candidate disavow the violence. Not one. Mm-hmm. We have not heard them really disavow Antifa. Um, you know, Andrew Yang might have come close a bit with some of the things he said in the past, but the fact that they're not even asked about this at the rally, at the debates, how is it, you know, if this was a Republican, if this happened at a Democrat event, you know, they talk so much about, oh, when they said that Trump supporters got violent, when it was, you know, really caused by people that were being paid off by the other side. Um, how is this related? You know, this is the mindset that these people have. And there is such a level of anger that President Trump is in power. It's the same thing that has fueled the beginnings of this, this impeachment crisis. It, it is now fueling, um, you know, what this, this free speech argument is that we're, we're having right now. Um, and people need to respond to it. They need to be held accountable. If you're going to argue for impeachment of this president, fine. I'm not, I'm not against you doing that. And, and, you know, the president has made a lot of volatile statements lately. But, but let's, you know, at least set some ground rules here. Some of those need to be, A, you know, you are still responsible for disavowing violence on your own side. You know, are we still going to hold up the idea of free speech? And if so, you know, are, are we going to hold up precedent in this, these impeachment, mm-hmm. um, pre- impeachment hearings? Why is it that Adam Schiff, um, when, he, when he lies so obviously to the American people, why is it that his Democratic colleagues will refuse to censor him? You know, it is so partisan out there. There is no precedent as to what they're doing with these uh, impeachment, in, impeachment hearings. You know, they are happening in closed doors. They don't want people to hear what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Once again, it, it's the same idea. They're removing um, a free-flowing conversation. They don't want the American people to have the facts. They want to create the illusion that there is an impeachment proceeding happening. But, you know, rather than talk about the phone call, rather than talk about Joe Biden, they just kind of change the conversation. And they latch on to whatever the newest thing is that President Trump has said and then say, well, this is your justification for impeachment. Mm-hmm. And then when that argument gets defeated, they move on to the next thing. And it's the same thing we saw with Brett Kavanaugh. The, the goalposts constantly move, and they use these like tricks. You know, they use these tricks to to basically not have to deal with the truth. So, what am I talking about here specifically? You know, in these impeachment hearings, they are closed door, which was not the way they were in the 1990s with Newt Gingrich. They have not had a general vote on the House floor. They are not allowing the president to have any sort of defense attorneys present. Um, for people of the State Department that are testifying. You know, the State Department head doesn't even know what his people are saying in there. Um, this has never happened before. They are government employees employed by the executive branch. All protocols are not being followed. And it's, it's, uh, it's really shocking that people don't report on it uh, more. And, 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 you know, the other reason I'm bringing this up is, you know, you got somebody like Mitt Romney today, which this is probably the, the funniest story of the week, okay? Mitt Romney has a fake Twitter account. <laughs> um, I got to remember his name. I'll have to bring it up here. Um, 
Pierre, you, yeah, what is it, Andrew? You can here. I'll here. Let's let's. Uh, Andrew's going to tell us right now. I think he remembers here, but um, Pierre Delecto. P- Pierre Delecto. So Mitt Romney, former presidential candidate, has been going on Twitter criticizing people like Newt Gingrich, President Trump, all the Trump supporters, and those that criticize him, kind of defending himself. And uh, he admitted to a, a reporter, you know, very coyly, that he has this Twitter account, and they figured out what it was because he follows all his family, so it really wasn't that hidden. <laughs> um, and, you know, this is funny, um, but you know, I, I'm a little bit bothered by the way President, or excuse me, he was never a president. <laughs> Senator Romney is conducting himself. And what, what I'm bothered by is, first, he doesn't have the guts to actually say what, what he thinks. Um, but, you know, clearly, which, which, okay, which is what people on the left have said to some extent. But let, let's be honest here. I mean, he has, he has been, he disagreed with the president plenty of times already. But, you know, for being so, so open to impeachment, for being so open to getting rid of the president, it's just like John Kasich. It's the same thing. The guys already said, oh, yeah, we should impeach the president of the United States. They act like they're these fair actors because they have an R next to their name. And so suddenly when they say, oh, we should impeach the president, that means a lot. No. Look, you come from a different sort of Republican than Donald Trump does. There's no doubt about it. I mean, they are part of the swamp. They are part of the ruling elite class on foreign policy specifically. I mean, President Trump declared what he thought about foreign policy from the beginning. It's not like his move to take people out of Syria is anything new. Um, and the views that Mitt Romney espouses are similar to what Hillary Clinton and George Bush thought. Um, and you know, they are, they are views of a, of a ruling class. So Mitt Romney though, you know, he, he won't going back to the impeachment thing as well. He won't say we should open up, we should have a clear process. You know, that's not what he's concerned with. He doesn't want to call out the Democrats cause that's not what gets the news. Um, he, he, his job is to criticize the president. And uh, CNN reported last night, late last night, that, um, you know, he's holding fundraisers now. Anti-Trump fundraisers is basically the notion yeah. behind it. He's trying to build a coalition of Republicans. And I, I got to say, Alex, it doesn't surprise me at all. No, nothing honestly really surprises me anymore. Um, I would, however, like to briefly draw a quick narrative between the free speech issue here and um again going back to the media and journalism i know i mentioned last week on the show about cnn and how it would seem as if um that news network and others have they have one narrative and if you speak against this narrative it's incorrect they have this um idea that they have a, a monopoly on what is true and what is right when it comes to all things Trump, impeachment, and otherwise. Um, and I think that's that kind of goes just, you know, right against what the job of journalist um, really is. Uh, that is, you know, to find the truth and, and to, to, to dig up those facts. Um, and frankly, I think when incorrect things are propagated for so long and, and they're blasted on air or via Twitter um, repeatedly over and over. It's It kind of makes even things that are incorrect or you know blatantly false seem true. Um, so up is down, right is left. Everything is just not right. <laughs> That's where so, we are. So yeah, you see it in the media, you see it uh, 
with with what Romney has to say, and you know, their views really haven't changed that much. We're just we're just seeing them progress. So we'll keep on following all the stories. Hope you enjoyed our interview today with Christian Caruso. We'll be back on Thursday. This is American View, where Hillsdale meets the nation. I'm Ben Dietrich. And I'm Alex Nestor. Thanks for listening. See you Mm -hmm. on Thursday.